With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Joined now by John Campbell of Odd Shark, as we typically are on Wednesday mornings, as we get you ready for the upcoming weekend in college football and the NFL. John Campbell at Johnny Odd Shark. All right, John, we've been talking about the college football playoff rankings, and obviously there are three major college football top ten matchups here. So let's run through each of these. Uh, I will start with Georgia, since they are the number one team in the college football playoff rankings, and they are going on the road at Auburn, who is number ten. What do you see in all likelihood in this game in terms of an outcome? I think a lot of people surprised, maybe who are just kind of casual college football fans, Auburn around a two-point, two-and-a-half-point underdog in this one. But uh, Vegas telling us it's going to be close. What do you anticipate? Uh, I love – you can still get Auburn plus three-and-a-half out there, and I love Auburn at that number. And uh, and I'm a little surprised at how many people love – Georgia and how much money is coming in on Georgia. This Auburn team's just gotten better all year, uh, in particular on offense. And uh, just being at home, I think they, they have the quarterback advantage. Getting three and a half, I think this game should be a pick em, So I love Auburn in this one. So you think it should be a 50-50. I mean, if you're sitting out there and you're a fan of the Big 12 or you're a fan of the Big 10 or Pac-12 or the ACC, one way to ensure that your uh, your team has a much better chance of getting in is the SEC only getting one team. And so you should be rooting for Auburn. You think Auburn has a good chance to win this game? Yeah, I, I do. And I think oddsmakers do too because this one opened at plus one. And and I think the true line is a pick em, but they knew they'd get some Georgia money. I don't think they expected to get all the Georgia money early on here. And another thing is, is Auburn still really controls its own destiny to the playoffs. So if they're 40-1. to one, they went out. I mean, you can't leave them out. I know they have two losses, but uh, if you like them this weekend, I'm going to put. I'm going to take them forty to one as well to win the uh, championship. I, I think actually Georgia's going to win, but uh, but I'm excited to watch this game. All right, let's move into the next. And I bet I, I love Georgia if you can get them under a field goal. Obviously, that three point line is a, a big swing. Let's move on to the next uh, top ten matchup, and it's as good as as a lot of the games were back in the '80s when this matchup became. A, uh, a big-time rivalry that everybody paid attention to, and that is Notre Dame on the road at Miami. Notre Dame around a three-point favorite, I believe, most recently, at least last night. I was seeing it. What do you see in this game? Well, I, I like Notre Dame here, and uh, and I think they'll get most of the money, but Notre Dame is, is legit, and, and their offensive line is just so good. It can, it can stand up against this Miami front seven. So I think they're going to control the rushing game and where Miami has trouble, they have trouble staying on the field on offense. They're 119th on third down conversions in the nation. So I think Notre Dame's going to be able to control the game on the ground and, and over 60 minutes, they're going to win this one. I, I'd prefer the line to be a little bit lower, but I like Notre Dame minus three at this one. 
TCU at Oklahoma to match up the final matchup of two one-loss teams in the Big 12. Whoever loses, obviously, out of the mix for the playoff could still potentially make the Big 12 title game depending on who the top two, the top two teams are going to end up because there's so much uncertainty at the top of the Big 12 right now. What do you see in this one? Well, this line was seven and a half, and uh, uh, it's it come down now to six and a half, and I think that's the right move. I tend to lean to defense when it's an offense versus defense kind of matchup, and uh, and, and so I like TCU there. And one of the things I like is, is they've gotten a lot better uh, against the pass in recent games. Their last three games, they're allowing less than 170 yards again. So I think they'll be able to slow Oklahoma enough, and this Oklahoma defense is just so soft. We saw that last week with 110 points in Bedlam, and, and uh, I think TCU might win this one outright. All right, so we're, we're on different sides here quite a bit. I like Georgia, <laughs> you like Auburn. We both like Notre Dame, so maybe run from that one if you are a gambler. And then I, I think if you can get them under a touchdown, so if you can get them at six and a half, I like Oklahoma to win this game against TCU ultimately because I like Baker Mayfield the most of anybody on this field, and I just don't see Oklahoma losing at home in a game of this magnitude. You like TCU. Any others in college football that particularly jump out at you that you love? Yeah, there, there were a couple. Uh, I'm really surprised to see Virginia plus 11 at Louisville. I, I think that's a game that Virginia could win straight up. Louisville could beat them by 20, but uh, but I really like Virginia plus 11 there. Uh, Washington minus 5.5 at Stanford. Stanford has no passing game, uh, and uh, I, I just think Washington is better all over the field there. So that's another one. And uh, BC plus three at home, this BC team coming off a bye, and they're a completely different team now getting three points. So those are three others that I like a lot too. All right, let's shift to the NFL. What games at most jump out to you that you think, man, I've got to pay attention to this one. I think it's a fantastic game. Well, I've been on the Jets for a few weeks here, and, and I keep waiting for, for the Lions to catch up. And uh, I, I like them again this week. They're, they're minus two and a half at Tampa Bay, who's terrible. And the Jets are six zero and one against the spread in their last seven, and Tampa Bay is the complete opposite at zero six and one against the spread in their last seven. So uh, Tampa Bay can't stop the pass, and Josh McCown turns out is a very good quarterback this season. So Jets is one I like a lot there, and uh, another one everybody in the world's going to be on the Pats, and I don't I don't know how they don't cover. They're minus seven and a half, and I think odds makers are trying to be tricky with that line, but. I don't, I don't see how the Broncos keep up with them, especially off the bye here. Is that just a function of how bad the Patriots have been in Denver? I mean, for whatever reason, the city seems to have a, a like kind of control almost in a mystical fashion over the Patriots. When they travel out to Denver, they just don't play well. And, and I wonder when I saw the line, even as bad as the Broncos have been playing, is that just a function of the history? Well, I, I think it's uh, the market expectation that the Broncos are better at home, and uh, and I, I think the market hasn't caught up to the fact that the Broncos aren't very good this year. And I think a lot a lot of folks had high expectations for them coming into the season, but they're terrible at quarterback, and they're not quite as good on, on, on defense here. So I, I think the Pats are going to blow them out. I, I thought that was a bad line last week, too, with the Eagles, and they got blown out there, and I think we're looking at another similar situation. There's a lot of big lines, relatively speaking, in the NFL this weekend. Uh, one of the games that's not a big line that's actually a pretty fascinating one to look at is Saints going on the road at the Bills. The Saints going for a seventh straight win. The Bills with a lot of time to prepare since they looked awful in their Thursday night game against the Jets. What do you see in that one? Well, the Saints are, are a much better football team all around this year, uh, in part because they're rushing the ball and mixing up their offense a lot more. Part of that is because their defense is a lot better, too, and they're, they're not coming from behind all the time. But I'm actually leaning Bills in this one, and, and uh, the, one of the things I like here is the Bills are, are third best at defending the pass, at, at pass defenses this year in the NFL, and they don't get to the quarterback. So they've been really good in the secondary, and that's what you have to be to stop and slow Drew Brees. So I'm actually leaning to the Bills in this one. Okay, a couple more games that I think are fascinating here. We got Cowboys going on the road at the Falcons. The Falcons are a three-point favorite, and the Titans can get to 6-3 and three with a home win over the Bengals. It would drop the Bengals to 3-6 and six and effectively end their season. What do you see in those two? 
Well, the Falcons are, are three and twelve against the spread in the last fifteen games as a home fave, and, and and I think this line surprised a lot of people at minus three. I think that's a line assuming Ezekiel Elliott will be out, but uh, but I, I it's hard not to like the Cowboys in that one. And I was on the Ravens last week with the Titans. I, I'm leaning to the Bengals again this week. I just think it's too many. I think the Titans are going to win. Uh, and uh, I just think it's too many points. And the Titans have had trouble kind of finishing off games. They allowed the Ravens to, to sneak one in there and cover late last week. So, so that's where I'm going in those two. Outstanding as always, John Campbell. Go follow him on uh, Twitter at Johnny Oddshark. Thanks, John Campbell. Thanks a lot, Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Just when you think that things can't get more insane, we've got a situation where in China, LeVar Ball's son, LiAngelo, he is the second son. He is the son that is uh, obviously um, the one playing at UCLA right now, the least of the famous Ball brothers, he has now been arrested last yesterday in China. Now, this is a messy situation in general. He has now been released from jail, and they say that they were treated well, according to ESPN. And he is now, yeah, he's out on bail, and they are not allowed to leave the hotel there in China. LeVar Ball uh, was reached by ESPN and basically said he didn't think it was going to be a big deal. But Dan Wetzel at Yahoo Sports got an expert from China to talk about the potential charges that these basketball players at UCLA face and that potentially they could face three to ten years in prison in China if they had done what they did, which is evidently steal something from a store in the Shanghai area. Now, what is wild about this story in general is there, well, first of all, there's so many different angles of this story that are crazy. First of all, Donald Trump is in Asia right now. So, and he has a decent relationship with the head of China. So, I think this thing is probably going to get resolved in a way that makes Donald Trump look like a kingmaker because I think that the relationship will be such that they're not going to throw the book at these players. But before I get into the stupidity and the craziness of this story, I think it's worth pointing out the hypocrisy of the NCAA and the state of California in this story. And let me explain how. In this story, California, if you remember, we spent a decent amount of time on this, uh, passed a new law uh, several months ago, which did not allow the state of California employees to travel to several other states based on what they perceived as discriminatory laws that existed in those states. Among those states were Texas, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, one of the Dakotas, I believe, Missouri. There were several different states that were involved in this travel ban for California. And it's still on the books, and we still haven't heard exactly how it applies to teams from the state of California that are using state-sponsored travel funds in order to be able to do that. So in general, that is a, a, a law that's on the books. And what's amazing about that is they're allowing UCLA men's basketball team to travel to China. So if you have an issue with state-sponsored travel because of the laws that are on the books in other states in America, if you won't let state-sponsored travel be paid for to go to Texas, Tennessee, or North Carolina, how in the world are you allowing state-sponsored travel to go to China where they don't have any kind of actual protections under the law? It's not like... Uh, people in China have full rights. And as a result, if you'd said, let's say UCLA players go to Tennessee or Texas or North Carolina, three states where right now California bans travel to, if they go out and they steal from a store in any of those states, look, it's stupid and you guys are going to get in trouble and 18 and 19-year-old kids do dumb things all the time. The actual long-range impact of this incident, of the of the stealing, is negligible, right? You end up paying a fine, you, uh, you, you are, you're embarrassed, but it's not as if there's any long-range, negative, severe consequences that would follow a decision like that. Here, this is even crazier. We're talking about, potentially, if China decided to throw the book at these kids, they could be in jail for three years to ten years in China for violating Chinese law. 
So what we definitely need here, because the world of 2017 has just been so crazy already, is for Donald Trump and LeVar Ball to end up hosting a joint press conference together to discuss this incident. It is overwhelmingly crazy to me that this kind of situation is happening. LeVar Ball was going to have a press conference last night, and then somebody got to his ear and said, hey, you know what, it's better if you don't go out and make all these comments about everything surrounding this story. Again, if you're just waking up across the country, this story broke yesterday afternoon slash evening. I don't even know what time it is in Shanghai right now. I think they're like 12 hours ahead of us. So it's 6 o'clock in the evening, I believe-ish, in Shanghai right now. Um, and uh, and right now, the UCLA basketball players have been let out of jail, but they are still not allowed to leave their hotel as this situation tries to resolve itself. Will they be able to travel back with the team? Is there going to be any long-range consequence? Does somebody decide to actually throw the book at these individuals? I mean, this is a crazy story. If you were trying to craft a story that was absurdly perfect for 2017, I think it would be LeVar Ball's son, not Lonzo, not LaMelo, the oldest and the youngest, who are both supposed to be the best basketball players, but LiAngelo, who is a freshman at the UCLA on the UCLA basketball team, and two of his teammates all arrested in China for stealing, and according to Dan Wetzel at Yahoo Sports, now facing, and this is crazy, but now facing potentially three to ten years in prison if they were prosecuted to the full extent of Chinese law. Now, I'm not an expert on what usually happens to Americans, obviously, who get arrested overseas, but I do think this is a, this is kind of an instructive moment for anybody out there who may have a trip overseas. You don't get very many protections of American law, and we, we criticize, especially athletes, criticize American law enforcement on a regular basis. But of all the countries in the world to be arrested in, America's one of the best because we have a clearly established criminal court system and we have a pretty lenient treatment, especially for first-time offenders. In this situation, I just find it amazing that the state of California and UCLA in particular, with the state banning travel to Texas, North Carolina, and Tennessee, that they would be okay. And by the way, with the NCAA having pulled all these events from North Carolina over the transgender bathroom bill, that they would be okay with events taking place overseas in countries with horrible records of human rights. In other words, if you had to choose right now between getting arrested for a crime in North Carolina or China, is there anybody on the planet that chooses to be arrested in North Carolina? I mean, sorry, that chooses to be arrested in China. North Carolina has typical protections. We banned, it's crazy, the NCAA banned events in the state of North Carolina, but now the individual schools are still able to go to China and do all sorts of trips. This, to me, is a pretty fascinating story on virtually every level. Uh, I'm going to bring in the crew now. Jason Martin, any additional details out there about this case that should be out there for people who are starting off their Wednesday and just thinking to themselves, okay, I need to know the most absurd story that could possibly happen. Well, here you go. No, you know, I do think that when we have Dan Wetzel on this show, obviously he does a fantastic job over at Yahoo, and he really did lay this out very well in that article, which has a headline that really is eye-popping. I mean, when you look and you see LiAngelo Ball and UCLA teammates can face three to ten years in prison if convicted of shoplifting, that'll raise the eyebrows. That will slow you down. But the last thing that we've seen, according to that source that spoke to ESPN, is that they have been released on bail, like we said, if you look into the Wetzel thing a little bit deeper, just the idea of how different the systems of justice are between our nation, certainly, and what's going on over in China, the idea they could have potentially been incarcerated or actually kept and detained for a month without even charges being filed, and just how difficult this entire thing could be. And just the Trump factor is just nuts. Like, if there's anything more 2017 than Trump and LeVar Ball trying to get LiAngelo Ball out of a Shanghai jail, I don't know what it is. Like, that uh, is unbelievable. It's absurd. What about you guys in L.A.? I mean, how much attention is this getting in L.A. right now? I'd say it's getting a lot of attention, Clay, just because, you know, the whole Ball-L.A. connection. And, you know, being as that all of these kids are future Lakers, hashtag future <laughs> Lakers, it's a concern to us. 
<laughs> you know, hey. your boy, by the way, really quick, your boy Petros was having a lot of fun with this yesterday afternoon on AM oh, I, 570. I don't have any doubt at all. Petros joins us every single Tuesday night. I mean, this is, to me, if you were just trying to Mad Lib the craziest stories that could happen in 21st century America. Right now, I don't know if there's anything wilder than LeVar Ball and Donald Trump having a joint press conference in China. And I could totally see this happening where Donald Trump alters his Asia schedule so he can fly back to China so that he can free the Ball kids and the other two kids from UCLA who've been arrested. And then in sort of a joint celebratory press conference, uh, LeVar Ball and Donald Trump address the media to uh, kind of take a victory lap over this story being uh, taken care of and resolved. If it doesn't happen in China, it would not shock me if everybody lands in L.A. and one of the first things they do is walk out for a big press conference. For the big baller brand, uh, unbelievably, assuming that Leangelo eventually makes it back into the country, I think it's probably good for LeVar Ball's brand because the amount of attention this thing is going to get is unbelievable. A part of me thinks this guy's a mad genius, and he actually planned his son to get arrested for stealing something so that they could get internationally known because it'll turn into a story in Shanghai and everywhere else. I mean, first of all, the fact that LeVar Ball is in Shanghai trying to do a big baller brand event is just by itself patently absurd. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Bring in Jeff Schwartz and Jeff. Is this Ball family controversy with Donald Trump not the most amazing and perfect story for 2017? Oh, it's incredible. And, and think about this. LeVar Ball was basically made popular in the summer because there's nothing to talk about, right? If LeVar Ball comes along during football season, it's not he's not famous. I, I don't think so. Um, and now, obviously, his son got arrested. Shop. I mean, it's, it's a remarkable 2017 story. And uh, I... Do you think Donald Trump will actually come? I mean, do you think he'll take it personally and try to come rescue him? Or because you know, there's barely any State Department staff, so they're not going to do that. Um, so it's going to be a remarkable uh, thing to see how this how this story plays out. Well, one of you guys look up Donald Trump's Asia schedule. I believe he's in South Korea right now. He started, I believe, in Japan. Then he went to South Korea. I think he finishes up in China. So they literally are going to be Trump is going to be in China at the exact same time as the Ball family, I believe. I, I'm, I'm telling you this is what's going to happen because Trump has a pretty good relationship with the Chinese president. The Chinese president is going to basically throw an alley-oop to Donald Trump, and he's just going to dunk on all of his critics in the pro sports because he's going to save. I mean, he's going to pay. He's going to come right into China, and he's going to, I'm telling you right now what's going to happen. He's going to land in China, and then he's going to have a huge press conference, and he's going to save – the ball kid, and the other two UCLA players from persecution. China, as a gesture of goodwill for Trump's arrival, is going to give these guys back to the United States and say we're dropping charges against them in a gesture of goodwill. And Donald Trump is going to be a hero, I'm telling you. This is exactly how this is going to play out. I almost think that the Ball family like set this up with Donald Trump. It just seems like such an unbelievably rigged 2017 story to end up with just a, a way for Donald Trump and LeVar Ball to have a joint press conference. Will will like Donald Trump come out in a big baller brand like hat and and oh LeVar Ball comes out in a Make America Great Again hat? Like I can definitely see LeVar Ball but going all in on Team Trump, like Donald Trump and LeVar Ball becoming boys. This is going to happen. Like, they basically are the same person already, right? Uh, LeVar Ball and Donald Trump are you, – you know if they went out to dinner, they would like each other, right? I mean, oh, they, 100%. They, they are just like each other. Uh, one guy just happens to be the president. The other one happens to be a guy with three sons who are good at basketball. But if they would, they would hit it off if they actually meet up. So I can see this relationship turning into a bromance. By the way, as a Pac-12 guy, and my, both my parents are UCLA alums, you know, I've been seeing you tweet about you know, UCLA, really the state of California, their decision to not travel to states that they don't agree with their laws, and then they go to China with, their, with the way they handle, um, handle things there. It is very hypocritical for, for the is, Pac-12 you're, you're to a California. That to yeah, you're a Pac-12 um, athlete, and you grew up in California. Isn't it crazy – that California would not, for instance, allow a team to go to North Carolina, but they'll allow a team to go to China? Yes. I, I, think I mean, that is I, I just insane. It, it feels like, you know, and, and you know me, I probably, I probably lean a, a little bit more left than, than some people, but I, I think that 
that you can't, as a state, you just can't mandate that, that you can't go somewhere because you don't like the laws of that state. Um, you know, how would you feel if, if they did the same thing to you? I mean, there's plenty of liberal laws in California that people probably don't agree with, um, and states still come there and, and play games. I think it's crazy that, that then UCLA goes to China with their, with their labor situation at times. Um, and then obviously this situation, I wonder how UCLA handles this as well. I mean, you know, you have three kids that got caught shoplifting on an international trip. It's supposed to be a goodwill trip. Uh, supposed to spread the game. By the way, what, what are they trying to spread college basketball in China for? Like, what, what do they expect to happen from this? No one's going to become a UCLA basketball fan and tune in at odd hours of the day to watch UCLA play Mercer in December. I mean, it just seems like an odd choice to go to China and play Georgia Tech, who's not even a basketball brand. Yeah, this is something the Pac-12 has decided to do. They they believe that because they're on the West Coast, they are the closest to Asia, and so they play games in Australia. They're trying to play games in China. I don't know. I'm with you. I are there tons of Chinese people out there that are suddenly going to be like, oh, I love UCLA basketball? Um, obviously, I think it makes sense for the NBA. I think it makes sense right. for pro sports. But I don't think that there are very many people in China that are going to be like, oh, you know what I love? I love American college basketball. Like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's going to be this huge <laughs> UCLA Bruin fan base now uh, all over Shanghai because the team went over there. Uh, but I, I think it just to me the thing that really jumps out is just the hypocrisy of it because you live in North Carolina now. Over the North Carolina transgender bathroom bill, like all sorts of people decided that they had to make a really political statement. And that's that's what it was. It was entirely political. And then if you're going to make those statements as an organization at the NCAA and as a state like California did, how in the world can you not get called on the hypocrisy of then allowing your teams to travel to China where they have no First Amendment protections, where dissidents get thrown into law, into the jail like crazy, and where here, whereas here, if you get some guys arrested for shoplifting, which I'm not justifying shoplifting, but in the terms of the landscape of crimes that you can commit in America, shoplifting is pretty far down the list, right? It's not uncommon for 18-year-olds in America, whether they're athletes or not, to get arrested for something stupid like shoplifting. And the, in China, for that to face three to ten years in prison, in theory, I think these guys are going to be okay but you're putting your kids at risk by going to China, and, and you're not willing to go to North Carolina. It's just the blatant hypocrisy of it really makes my blood boil, to be frank. You know, the thing about it, too, is we still have not seen a situation yet where this has really played out. Because what if, you know, UCLA, USC, Cal, uh, uh, excuse me, USC's private school, they don't count this. Cal, UCLA, let's say uh, San Luis Obispo ends up making the NCAA tournament and they have to play a game in North Carolina or Texas. Are they not going to go? I find that hard to believe that they're going to miss playing an NCAA tournament game um, because they're not going to go. And look, the Pac-12 has one, at least one bowl in Texas. Um, yes. Is UCLA not going to go to Alamo Bowl? I mean, that seems, that seems rather ridiculous. Yeah, look, I mean, it seems, it seems like it would be crazy. And moreover, does the NCAA, when they set the brackets – have to be cognizant of the fact that the state of California will not travel to whatever all these states are. I think there's eight different states now where state-funded travel is not allowed. So do they have to then eliminate the UCLA from those brackets, which makes it more complicated for them if there's hosting events going on in Texas or North Carolina or Tennessee or I believe it's Missouri, all these different states. By the way, Donald Trump is scheduled to land in China today. Tell me this is not an incredible setup for Donald Trump to be landing in China right as this American basketball uh, mess explodes. Trump is definitely going to find himself in the middle of this in what is probably going to be the most crazy 2017 story imaginable. (laughs) All right, let's circle back around. You're on to talk NFL. Uh, When you look at the Kansas City Chiefs, I want to start here. I believe the Chiefs, am I correct, are one in three in their last four is yes. this a uh, symptom of some larger issue as they fall to 6-3? and three, Or is this the typical kind of difficult stretch that every NFL team kind of goes through and the Chiefs are going to emerge on the other side and be fine in the second half of the season? Well, they lost to the Steelers, which is their kryptonite. They, seem to can't, they can't seem to beat the Steelers. And they go on the road and play the Raiders, and defensively they don't play very well. And then against, you know, against the Cowboys, the Cowboys kind of thoroughly whooped them. I mean, if you take out that – Tyreek Hill touchdown, whatever that was at the end of the half. I mean, it's twenty-eight to ten, um, and it's really not even close. I mean, they, they dominated on both sides of the line of scrimmage as well. Um, you know, the Chiefs have their bye this week. They come out of the bye. There, Randy Reid something like seventeen and two after a bye. They play the Giants. 
um, the following Sunday. So, you know, they'll win that game. They'll go to 7-3. and three. I'm not terribly worried. I mean, a couple of things I do worry about is, is the run defense is not very good, especially – and this is what Steelers do well is when you run out of 11 personnel, so you have one, one running back, one tight end, and three wide receivers. The Chiefs counter with dime all the time, which means you have four defensive linemen – uh, one linebacker and one safety type player who's playing linebacker. The Chiefs have done this for years. I don't get it because it doesn't work. They, you know, that safety player used to be Eric Berry, but he's been hurt over the last couple of years. And so you put in someone else there, it just doesn't work uh, quite the same. So they have trouble with that. And then you know the, the play calling at times. I love Andy Reid, um, and you know he he gets a bad you know he gets a rap sometimes about play calling, and it's true. I mean they come out of the second half on Sunday, um, they run Hunt three times for 29 yards, and I don't think they ran him again the rest of the game. Um, and you, and that's what Andy Reid has kind of always done is, is he's always gone back to to passing whenever uh, the situation calls for runs at times and, and that hurts them. So you know they have to buy they'll figure it out. I'm not terribly worried about them, but you know if they have to go on the road and, and play Pittsburgh in the playoffs, um, do you have any faith they'll beat them? I don't. And I'm a Chiefs fan, so they need home field at least for for one division game. When you look at right now the the lineup in general, we, we talked a lot about the playoff picture at the halfway point. Who would you say should be the favorite in the AFC and who would you say should be the favorite in the NFC right now at this exact moment? Well, the AFC has got to be the Steelers or the Patriots. I think whoever has home field advantage is going to feel good about that. I mean, I think that if they played each other ten times, you, you might get, uh, you, know, the, you know, they might split five and five. I think it's hard to say who'd win that game. You know, New England's defense is, is playing better. Um, you know, where they had injury-wise will, will be a big factor. You know, the Steelers' defense, by the way, the Steelers, we talk about Steelers' offense all the time because Big Ben and Le'Veon Bell, their defense has quietly played really well this year. Um, I think I'd favor, I personally would favor the Steelers right now in that matchup. Um, just more talented and, and they have more explosive players and can do more on offensive defense. And then the NFC, you know, I think the NFC honestly is, is wide open. Um, you know, I love the Saints but they have not really played anybody the last six weeks. Now they're winning games big, which they're supposed to do. Uh, the last two teams to start 0-2 and win their next six have won the Super Bowl, including the 7 Giants. Um, so they're kind of in that range right now where they feel really good. They're, they mimic 2009 a lot, which is they're able to run the football, take some pressure off Drew Brees, uh, and play good defense. And they're Alvin kind of Kamara has well. been fantastic for them. Yeah. I mean, it allowed him to get yeah. rid of Adrian Peterson. He's, he's a guy – that a lot of people have not probably picked up on how good he is. Uh, he played at the University of Tennessee, great out of the backfield at receiving the ball, and just yes. a wizard. I mean, he's very hard to get on the ground, and obviously given how good Drew Brees is in the passing game, to have him in the backfield, he kind of gives them a different dimension on the offensive side of the ball. He does, and, and, and of course, I have to give a shout-out to the offensive line. Their offensive line is playing really well. Um, they've invested a lot of parts in that offensive line. Uh, two first-round picks. They signed Max Unger to a big deal. They signed Larry Warford to a big deal. Tyrone Armstead is their left tackle. Um, they're getting a lot from that offensive line. They're playing really physically. So I like the Saints, especially if they end up having um, a home game at all in the playoffs, um, you know, or at least home field advantage if they get a bye. You know, I, I like the Eagles, too. I mean, the Eagles, I think, to me, um, they've really overcome – a lot of injuries they've had, left tackle, middle linebacker. Uh, they're making the most with, with the, the, the personnel they have, and Wentz has, has been a wizard so far. They're, they're fun to watch. They're physical on defense. They really run the football. You know, Wentz takes care of the ball better than he did last season. Um, you know, to me, the NFC, I, I think it's just wide open. I can see many teams. Like, I don't think the Rams win, win the NFC, but I think that they can give a good run at the NFC um, and, and get a, you know, a playoff game victory in, in, in there. And look, Seattle, that was a terrible, embarrassing loss. Uh, this weekend, but they can still they, they can run the table. If Dallas, if Zeke Elliott can play the rest of the season, Dallas has a chance. Um, I don't think he will. I think he'll be suspended again Thursday, and, and then they'll file another appeal. It's a, that's a ridiculous thing. That, that story, it, yes, it, it's never going to end. Like to me, look, I understand. I said this early on um, that he should just take the suspension and for basically for the betterment of his team and move on. I get why he doesn't want to do that personally if he believes that he's innocent of, of a crime. He's not going to just sit there and take the punishment and basically be labeled an abuser when he doesn't feel he is I get all that but like this is killing his team because if they keep pushing this back and back and back he's eventually going to serve a suspension it's going to happen um and it could possibly be a playoff game uh and they keep pushing this back and back and back I'll give you one more dark horse in the NFC and this really comes down to, to how well Cam Newton plays the Panthers defense is really really legit I mean they're really good they suffocate teams uh they can they can stop the run if Luke Keekley can stay healthy um, that defense can carry them to win the NFC. The problem is, offensively, they are a disaster. Um, they've gone back to Cam Newton basically being the entire offense, which to me 
is not sustainable. Um, every time he runs the ball, I think he's going to get hurt. I mean, he just the, the hits he takes, it's just not sustainable. But if he can stay healthy and they can do something on offense, um, they're defensively good enough to win the NFC. Um, so they're a dark horse to me as well. We're talking to Jeff Schwartz uh, about potential AFC and NFC uh, Super Bowl contenders. You uh, are an Oregon Duck, so you've paid a lot of attention to Marcus Mariota over the years. The Titans are hosting the Cincinnati Bengals this weekend. They're sitting at 5-3. and three. If they win that game and they're around a five-point favorite, they would get to 6-3 and three and be going on the road for Thursday night football against probably 7-2 and two Pittsburgh. So it would actually turn into a pretty good game. Uh, seven and two Pittsburgh against six and three Titans. What's up with Mariota in year three? What are you seeing? The team is winning, but it doesn't appear that everything's clicking on all cylinders offensively. What do you see when you watch them play? Well, he keeps getting hurt, which I think takes a big toll on him. You know, he he does incorporate the run um, into his quarterback play, which I think he should be doing. Now they don't; they're not a run first team with Mariota, um, so you know, he, but he, that's part of who he is. And so I think that the hamstring injury. Um, has been hampering him. And look, the offense is not built uh, to be wide open and, and have a lot of explosive plays. They, they generate them because they have a good run game and they're able to hit play action pass. I mean, I, I think what Mariota does in the red zone is remarkable. To still not have one red zone turnover um, is, is just, through three years, is just insane. Um, but, you know, to me, I mean, he'd benefit from a, a more creative offense. I mean, you know, if, if he was in – Sean McVay's offense, Kyle Shanahan's offense. Um, I think you'd see a bigger jump for him from year two to three. Um, but look, Jameis Winston is struggling in this situation right now, where he's going from year two to three. So uh, I still like the Titans. I think I haven't picking. Uh, I picked them to win the South, uh, but Jacksonville, man, I'm like shocked, shocked that they're where they are right now with Blake Bortles. I, I mean, they're winning in spite of Blake Bortles. What happens with the Falcons? The Falcons have the Cowboys this weekend in what is a big game. The Falcons are actually a three-point favorite. Now, this is one of those big swing games where if the Falcons came out and played really well against the Cowboys and won and the Cowboys lose overnight, the thing I love about the Cowboys is how particularly Cowboy fans go from like the, the clouds <laughs> to the, the, the floor like almost immediately, right? Like They are the most bipolar fan base out there. They win a game, and they're like, we're back, baby. We're going to the Super Bowl. They lose a game, and it seems like their entire fan base is like, uh, like you know, they just start kicking themselves all over again. So I think if what, what typically happens here is right when you start thinking, oh, the Cowboys are, are good, they lose. And so I totally expect for the Falcons, who are 4-4, four and four, to come out and just put it on the Cowboys, who are 5-3, and three, and then at the end of this game, they'll be in the exact same place. They'll both be five and four. What's interesting about the Falcons, if you look at their stats, they're number one in yards per play on offense, but they don't score a lot of points, which is kind of shocking to me. I think in the red zone, they've been pretty poor. Um, against the Jets two weeks ago in the rain in MetLife Stadium, they kind of got an offensive rhythm. They scored 25 points in the rain. They looked good. You know, they had some drop passes. It was pouring rain and you know, things like that, some bad snaps. And then against Carolina, come out play well early, and then Carolina just suffocates them. I think, t- to me, if you look at the Falcons, they just don't have the creativity and offense they had the year before where they use a tight end in so many different ways. They took play-action pass. Um, but I'll tell you what, they had some mistakes, even on Sunday. Like Julio Jones dropped a touchdown pass, a straight touchdown pass that would have that made the game, um, uh, would have put the Falcons behind with uh, three with about four minutes left just fly out, drop the ball and force down. I mean, he is, I don't think I've ever seen him just drop a ball in the end zone like that, wide open, no one around him. Uh, they're making mistakes like that where they did not make last year. You know, last year, everything sort of went right for them offensively. You know, one of the most uh, high-powered offenses of all time. Uh, I mean, in single-season offense, they were probably in the top ten last year. They were that good on offense. And they just don't have that this year. And it's not surprising. You know, you have a new offensive coordinator. I, I don't know why people expected it to be the same. I didn't expect it to pull back this much. Uh, but they need to get the most out of Sark and the most out of Ryan coming down the stretch. One interesting thing to look out for, people have been whispering about Gary Kubiak wants to get back into coaching, um, and there's whispers that he would be the perfect fit in Atlanta. So this might be a one-year thing for Sark. When you look at uh, – there are a couple of games I want to hit you with specifically as we come uh, into NFL, I guess it's week 10 – um, the Saints and the Bills. You said you like the Saints. The Bills are five and three. This is a big game for both teams. If the Saints win, they move to seven and two, and they knock the Bills down back down to five and four. What do you see in that game? 
Well, this game, I believe, is in Buffalo, so that takes the dome out of it. And, and New Orleans, obviously, will play a lot better in the dome. I think the weather will be a, will be a factor depending on, on how cold it is and how wet and rainy this time of year it is up in Buffalo. Um, you know, to me, if, if the Saints get a lead, it's done. I, I don't see Tyrod Taylor as a quarterback who often um, can come from behind in games. He really does not. It doesn't happen very often. So because the Saints can run the football, that changes the way they play on the road. I mean, they used to be such a passing team to where on the road, this was tough for them. It's supposed to be 44 degrees um, and, and clear, at least on Sunday in Buffalo. Um, but because they can run the ball, they can slow the tempo down of the game and they can control the line of scrimmage. So I feel better about the Saints in this situation than I would have in the last three or four years. Uh, but like you said about the Bills, if they don't win this, uh, they get knocked back down a peg. But to me, it's all about the, the Bills – has to play from ahead for Tyrod Taylor to be effective. And if they get behind by, let's say, two scores in this game, they're not winning it. What about the Vikings and the Redskins? The Vikings kind of are sneakily 6-2. and two. I feel like a lot of people haven't paid attention to them. They're in the front running spot right now in the NFC North, would be the overall number three seed if the season were ending today in the NFC. And they're going on the road against the Redskins, who got a tremendous win traveling all the way across the country to beat the Seahawks on the road. And right now, Minnesota's a, a point-and-a-half favorite. But this is a big swing game for both teams here, I think, as well. It is. And to me, the, the story is not about the game. The story is about Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, he's he's going to be active this week, and I believe he'll be dressed. And to me, I put the Vikings down as a pretender at the halfway mark only because of Case Keenum. I know he's played well within the offense right now. I just don't trust him in a playoff game. Do you trust Case Keenum to beat? Any one of those NFC quarterbacks? No. Um, and to me, a lot of it comes down to quarterback play, especially now. I know people want to say, well, look at the 2009 uh, Jets with Mark Sanchez. They made the AFC Championship game. But the NFL is different now. The NFL is more reliant on quarterback play. Um, and the Vikings don't run the ball as well as the Jets did back then. So to me, watching what Bridgewater does, if he plays all this game or eventually gets into the driver's seat and be the quarterback there, that changes the way I feel about the Vikings. And, and with the Redskins – what they did on Sunday, I don't think people have talked about it. They were down four starting offensive linemen. And not just like and they're not like just like four bums. They are legit players. Trent Williams is the most physical left tackle. Their right guard, Brandon Sheriff, knocks people down all the time. I mean, they, they're legit good offensive line. They missed four of those guys and went into Seattle, where Seattle only had six losses with Russell Wilson as quarterback at home since he since he got there and beat Seattle at the end of the game. That was remarkable. So I don't know if they can beat another good defense without any of those offensive linemen. We'll see who's back. Um, but they finally got some production from their wide receivers, which they needed. Uh, and that's a game where if you don't like Kirk Cousins, um, you're upset because the Redskins, I think, have to pay him. I, I don't know what else you do. Um, you, you can't draft a guy where you're at in, in, unless you trade up. And what, you want to start all over again? So you got to pay Cousins. Outstanding stuff as always, Jeff. We'll talk to you next week. Yep, take care. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Last night, big news uh, in the universe of college football. The playoff committee rankings uh, were released, the second version of those, as we come into what will be a three top ten games this weekend, which should be absolutely fabulous. Uh, For those of you who have not yet heard, uh, Georgia remained uh, number one, Alabama number two, Notre Dame three, Clemson 4, Oklahoma 5, TCU 6, Miami 7, Wisconsin 8, Washington 9, Auburn 10. If you are a Southern Cal fan, you are hanging right outside the periphery there at number 11, which was higher than I thought they would be. Okay, so the big discussion here is going to turn into, first of all, what happens this weekend? Because you've got Auburn going on the road at Georgia. And I feel like a lot of people aren't giving this game, or sorry, Georgia going on the road at Auburn. I feel like a lot of people are not giving this game very much attention. Vegas is telling us, hey, this game's going to be close. Because Auburn is only around a three-point underdog right now. So Georgia has waylaid everybody on their schedule, with the exception of Notre Dame, who they beat by one point back in September. And so just kind of pay attention to this one. Big game on the plains down in Auburn. If you are rooting for chaos, you want Georgia to win this game, honestly. Because if Georgia wins this game and goes in at 12-0, and 0, uh, then I think it's hard-pressed to leave Georgia out of the playoff no matter what happens in that game against Alabama. So that's one of the top 10 games. The other one, I think, is going to determine that 4-5 slot. Right now, I don't think... 
that Georgia, Alabama, or Notre Dame are going to get dropped if they continue to win. Remember, Notre Dame is on the we- on the road this weekend against number seven Miami. If Notre Dame beats Miami, Notre Dame is going to have two games left to go to the playoff. I don't see the Fighting Irish getting left out if they beat Miami this weekend and they're a small favorite, around a three or a four point favorite in that game. If Notre Dame can win at Miami, then I don't see them getting dropped out of the playoff four. And so all they'd have to do is beat Navy and then finish up by beating uh, at Stanford, winning that game at Stanford. And they would be in the clubhouse at 11-1 and because they have no conference title game to play. So Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame is 1-2-3. and three, And Notre Dame is playing against Miami in what is an awesome game, the Catholics versus Conflicts all over again. Except now, honestly, Notre Dame has got more players arrested than Miami does because Mark Rick has done such a great job not just winning down in Miami, but coming in, grabbing the Hurricanes by their lapels and reasserting uh, a level of coaching dominance that we have not seen down there since, frankly, all the way back with Larry Coker. Uh, obviously, Mark Rick, the former Miami Hurricane himself. Okay, so we've got Clemson right now in the four spot. Clemson is in the four spot, but Oklahoma is playing against number six TCU. If Oklahoma beats TCU then Oklahoma will have beaten number 6 TCU, number 15 Oklahoma State, and number 14 Penn State. They would have three top 15 wins. Right now, Clemson's only top 15 win is over Auburn. And so now Virginia Tech is floating around there at 17, and certainly Clemson has got that win. And they've also beaten NC State, who's at number 23. But if they can get this done, if Oklahoma can beat TCU and get, then has three top 15 wins to one for Clemson, I don't understand how you wouldn't have to jump Oklahoma into the four slot and then Clemson's got to wait and see what happens with Miami uh, because they could be playing theoretically 11-0 and Miami in the ACC title game, which would help a great deal. So I say all of this for this reason. If you are a college football fan, it doesn't get any better than this. Because you have got three top 10 games going on this weekend. And the significance of each of those games is massive. If Georgia loses, then Georgia potentially is out of the playoff because they would have to then beat Alabama and win the SEC to actually guarantee themselves a playoff spot. If Georgia wins, then they're sitting pretty good shape because they've got Kentucky, who they're not going to lose to. And then they go to Georgia Tech and I know it's a rivalry game, and I know it's in-state, and I know Georgia Tech went on the road last year and won in Athens, but I don't think Georgia's going to lose to Georgia Tech. So if you were rooting against Georgia making the playoff, you need to desperately be on the side of Auburn this weekend. And if you are in the Pac-12, the Big Ten, the Big 12, or you know the ACC for that matter, you need to also be rooting for Miami to beat Notre Dame. Because if Miami beats Notre Dame, the Fighting Irish are out of the playoff running. If Notre Dame beats Miami, then I think Notre Dame is unlikely to lose to Navy or to Stanford. And I think 11-1 Notre Dame is going to be tough to leave out of the playoff. Why does that matter? If 11-1 Notre Dame makes the playoff, you can't then leave 12-1 Georgia out of the playoff. Because 12-1 Georgia would have a better resume than 11-1 Notre Dame and they would have a head-to-head win. So how in the world could you put 11-1 and Notre Dame in the playoff and leave out 12-1 and Georgia, which beat them head-to-head? That matters because if Notre Dame and Georgia both win, then I think both of those spots are going to get taken up, and then clearly if Alabama goes 13-0, they're going to stay the number one seed, which would mean that you would only have one spot left. And then which team gets that spot? Is it 12 and 1 Clemson? Is it 12 and 1 Oklahoma? Is it 13 and 0 potentially Wisconsin? Is it 12 and 1 Washington? You would have four teams that all legitimately feel like they deserve a spot. Now do you bump Notre Dame out of the mix? Do you bump Notre Dame and Georgia out of the mix? Guys, this is potentially setting up as a total mess. We'll know more after next weekend cuz again, I think if Notre Dame can win at Miami and if Georgia can win at Auburn, then they are set. Those two teams are going to be hard to knock out of the playoff. I just don't see Georgia losing to Kentucky or Georgia Tech. 
and I don't see Notre Dame losing to Navy or to Stanford to finish out their schedule. That is a potential cataclysmic situation for the college football playoff because Notre Dame could leave it, and if you get two from the SEC, then again, of those four schools, potentially you could only take one. Do you take 12-1 and Clemson? Do you take 12-1 and Oklahoma? Do you take 12-1 and Washington? Or do you take 13-0 and Wisconsin? That is not going to be an easy decision. That is a total mess that potentially is hanging out there for the college football playoff. I cannot wait to dive into this. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. We got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on!